found on the inside of your bulletin or of course in the scriptures. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Say to the people of Israel, Appoint the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of that city. Then they shall take him into the city and give him a place, and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hand, because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. And he shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment until the death of him who is high priest at the time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home, to the town from which he fled. So they set apart Kadesh in Galilee, in the hill country of Naphtali, and Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kiriath Arbon, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. And beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho, they appointed Bezer in the wilderness on the tableland, from the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth in Gilead, from the tribe of Manasseh, of Gad, and Golan and Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities designated for all the people of Israel and for the strangers sojourning among them. And anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there, so that he might not die by the hand of the avenger of blood, until he stood before the congregation. The word of the Lord. Let me ask you a question. How many of you enjoy living in Virginia Beach? It's a great city, isn't it? Uh, Bloomberg said it was the eighth best city to live in. I personally think it's the first best city. Nonetheless, Bloomberg has his own ideas and own options. But we're blessed that we're able to live in such a great place. I mean, we've got beach, we've got sun, we've got uh, all the different uh, accoutrements that come with the resort city. But there are other cities that are not quite as fortunate as ours. That if you might be so placed in, you might not have as much of a chipper time. I came across this. This is Forbes.com's most miserable cities. <laughs> Forbes's misery measure takes into account unemployment, taxes, commute times, violent crime, and how a city's pro sports teams have fared over the past two years. <laughs> It also factors in two indexes put together by Portland, Oregon researcher Bert Spearling that gauge weather and Superfund pollution sites. Lastly, it considers corruption based on convictions of public officials in each area, as tracked by the Public Integrity Section of the U.S. Department of Justice. So are you wondering what are the five most miserable cities in the United States of America? Here we go. We'll start with number five, Flint, Michigan. Flint is buying up houses and demolishing them in an effort to shrink the size of the city to a sustainable level. Detroit, Michigan, number four. Thousands of homes in this rapid city were available for less than $10,000 last year, and the economy has shrank in the last six years. So if you're looking for a fixer-upper or a mansion, fixer-upper, 8K, mansion, 15K, great place to buy a house. Number three, Memphis, Tennessee. Violent crime is second worst in the country, and public officials are getting locked up at an alarming rate. On a positive note, the city's sole pro, pro sports franchise, the Grizzlies, 
is winning some games after losing 72% of the time in the past three seasons. We're getting even closer to pure misery. Number two, Stockton, California. Stockton relinquished the most miserable city crown last year, but the city still faces jarring unemployment and violent crime. Unemployment is expected to average 18.5% in the metro area this year. Virginia Beach is looking better and better every moment, isn't it? And finally, number one, Cleveland, Ohio. Residents of the mistake by the lake endure brutal winters, high crime, and a tortured sports history. They are voting with their feet as the net migration out of the metro area was 71,000 over the past five years. Didn't we just send someone to Cleveland, Ohio? We did. Becky and Karras. Somebody mount a rescue mission to go get <laughs> Becky and Karras syrup and get them out of Cleveland before it's too late. You know, cities have different purposes. You know, if you're a snowbird, you travel to Florida, the weather's better, you go there for vacation. Maybe if you're looking for culture and business opportunity, you travel to New York. Maybe if you're looking for opportunities for technology and industry and new initiatives, you travel to Silicon Valley. But we see here that God has actually created a city. A city with an express purpose and intention. A city of refuge. It's a place of safety. Why would God create such a place as he brings them into this land flowing with milk and honey? Why would he do so? I think that the creation of these cities of refuge reveal a lot about God. God, if you'll remember, creating the promise, bringing the Israelites into the promised land, is creating a community that mirrors his intentions for humanity. A place of shalom, a place of how things were meant to be. And these cities of refuge show us a couple of things. The first, that God values life. Life is important to God. None of it is to be wasted. But additionally, God not only values life, He values justice. That there is rights, wrongs are to be righted. They're not simply to be swept under the rug. God cares about life, and He cares about justice. And so God has created in this story these refuges. When there's trouble, when one is struggling, when the world is falling apart, there is a place of safety. But the city of refuge is more than simply history. It's more than simply a place for Israelites of old. It's a picture for us, a place available to people like you and me. For all of us have made mistakes. All of us have hurt others. All of us have created chaos. So where do we run from our past? Where do we run from the accusations of the world? Where do we go when everyone is against us? Where do we go when there's nowhere else to go? God has given us to a city of refuge. But it's not a locality. It's not a place. It's a person. His name is Jesus. See, though we deserve death, we receive life through our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. He is a refuge, a redeemer, a place we can run. And so we need not live in fear of the avenger, but we can live in the freedom of the redeemer. I want to unpack this statement. We're going to look at three specific points uh, that I see here in this particular passage. 
Number one, we must recognize that life and justice are precious to God. We must recognize that life and justice are, are precious to God. Number two, we must realize that we have a rescuer. There's someone who has our back. And then finally, number three, we must learn to rest in our refuge. Recognize life and justice are precious to God. Realize you have a rescuer and finally rest in your refuge. Well, let's look at this first part, to recognize that life and justice are precious to God. Okay, if you remember, God has apportioned these various cities to these 12 tribes of Israel. And he says to select these cities, three on the west side of the Jordan, three on the east side of Jordan. This is all the way back in the book of Numbers, by the way, Numbers 35, 11, where God says to Moses, you shall select cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the manslayer who kills any person without intent may flee there. The city shall be for you a refuge from the avenger, that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation for judgment. And so he lists these three cities, and actually if you look at them, they're strategically positioned in the land, north, middle, and south. And there are to be roads that run from each one of them. They are to be along a, a central road, a highway, if you will. So that in the, uh, in the possibility that someone unintentionally slays someone, we need to remember that this is a land of hard labor and tools. It's not necessarily like our land, that there's lots of opportunity for unintentional manslaughter on Route 264, particularly on Friday at 5 o'clock. Nonetheless, you have these different places where they can go to. Why? Because God creates a community where life is valued. All life is precious to God. Remember the Psalm 139.13? For you, God, formed my inmost parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. It is God that has fashioned life, and all life matters to God. Cain takes Abel out in a field, and he slays him. And when Cain comes back, what does the Lord say to him in Genesis 4.10? What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. The blood of the slain man, God hears it. Genesis 9.5 puts it this way, And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal, and from each man too. I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. So we see that blood is precious to God because God has been made in man's image. And thus God is the great accountant, keeping track of every drop of spilled blood. And indeed we see in Isaiah that the Lord is coming out of his dwelling to punish the people of the earth for their sins. The earth will disclose the blood shed upon her. She will conceal her slain no more. And so if God values life, he also values justice. But there is this place of safety not only for Israelites, but if you look actually in verse 9, it actually says that it's dedicated, designated not only for the people of Israel, but for the stranger sojourning among them. 
that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there, so that he would not die. It's for the Israelite, it's for the non-Israelite, it's for the people living in God's land. Now keep in mind that this land, this city of refuge, is not for the guilty. It's not for the ones who have intentionally slaved. It's for the mistake, uh, it's for that mistake. Anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there. Certain instances, such as uh, Numbers 35, 22, but if he pushed him suddenly without enmity or hurled anything on him, without lying in wait, or used a stone, he was using his axe, and the axe head flies off, and it goes ahead and hits him in his head, and it kills him. This is an example of involuntary manslaughter, as opposed to waiting in, uh, in secret for his blood. Now, why does this person have to run? I mean, people say it's an accident, things happen, we mourn, it's sad, but why is there this, this process of fleeing? There is this one who is called the avenger of blood. Interesting word, the avenger of blood. In Hebrew, the word is goel. We also call it the kinsman redeemer. This avenger, everyone has one of them, this kinsman redeemer. The goal of the kinsman redeemer, this avenger of blood, is not to get revenge, but rather to avenge. There is a balance, that imbalance that has been created in the world. Life has been taken. Death has occurred. Loss has occurred. It must be restored. And so the one who is the next of kin becomes the goel, the kinsman redeemer. So for a brother, a brother. For a father, a son, for a sister, a brother, a mother, and so on and so on. In fact, if there is no kinsman redeemer, the court will even become the kinsman redeemer. Because everyone must have someone who is looking out for them. Another word for redeemer is restore. Now, if you had a brother or a father, and you were a kinsman redeemer, there were four specific responsibilities that you had. It just came part and parcel with your station. Number one, you had to buy your brother or sister back out of bondage. If one of your brothers or sisters, they had become so poor that they sold themselves into slavery so they could eat and stay alive, it was the responsibility of the kinsman redeemer to buy them back out of slavery. Number two, if they had had to sell their land because they had to pay for something, the land belonged to the family, and so it was the job of the kinsman redeemer to buy it back, to bring the land back. If the kinsman redeemer, if there was a brother who had a wife, number three, and she had no children, it was the responsibility of the kinsman redeemer to marry that wife and to have children through her so that the line would continue. And then finally, the fourth task of the kinsman redeemer was blood vengeance, to protect and honor and restore what has been done against this person, either volitionally, on purpose, or not on purpose. You see, to God, life is precious, and justice is precious. What would the world be like if it was not? You can see it every now and then, can't we, in the world, right? For the life of a person somewhere means nothing. Somebody's killed, no one cares. Something happens or goes wrong. There's injustice. Somebody's land is taken. Something, and the world just looks aside. There's no redeemer, if you will, that can stand up against them or will be willing. 
I don't know if you've ever heard of these women. They're called the Mothers of the Plaza de Mayo. They're also called Los Madres de los Desaparecidos, the Mothers of the Disappeared. They're in Argentina, and they're an association of Argentine mothers. That during the dirty war of military dictatorship between 1976 and 1983, thousands upon thousands of men, women, and children disappeared. Just gone. The government took them. They didn't like what they were standing for. They tortured them, and they just disappeared. It was like they never existed before. And when mothers would go to the government to try to find the, the whereabouts of their children, the government would simply say, we don't know what you're talking about. And they would wash their hands. And so the mothers of the disappeared began to congregate in the central plaza in Buenos Aires to stand and to march and to try to communicate. We will not go away. They tried to get their message out. And they had the Olympics back then, CNN and so forth. They wanted to make their case known. Simply these women. The military that has been overthrown has admitted that there are over 9,000 of these who are still unaccounted for. But the mothers say what is missing is closer to 30,000. Most are presumed dead. In fact, even some of these mothers who were protesting have disappeared as well. Nobody knows what happened to them. Why do I bring up this story? Because as mothers love their children, yet we see that they have no power to fix what's going on. Who is the kinsman redeemer who will find them? Who will avenge this justice? Who will restore shalom? There is no one. There is no kinsman redeemer. There is no justice. There is no value in life. But God says that life is meant to be different. Because life is valued, my friends, your life is valued. You are in the image of God. Your blood is counted by the one who made you. Maybe you feel like the mothers of the disappeared. Maybe you yourself feel like nobody listens to me. I have no power. Maybe you feel like the disappeared. I've been forgotten. I'm not worth much. I'm old. I don't have any money. People just glance right over me. Nobody cares. But your life is valued because God values life. And so you can take confidence in the fact that if everyone else has forgotten you, God has not. And because God values your life, God will make sure there is justice. You will receive justice. Maybe you carry around the hurts of your past life. Things that were done to you when you were small. Things that were done to you by business associates, by by friends who left, by spouses, by people that turned on you and left and all of a sudden it's like no one was there and the sea is calm. But a great wrong has been perpetrated. If you can take confidence that your life is precious to God, you can take confidence that God will make every wrong right in the end. That there will be justice. Every sin will be accounted for. So my friends, look to Him. Trust that He is just. Be still and wait for all life 
and justice is precious to God. This brings me to my second point, that we must realize that you have a rescuer. See, here's what's astounding, that it is God who is the ultimate redeemer. He's the ultimate restorer. God takes the Israelite people, Exodus 6.6, 6, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, removing them from bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with mighty acts of judgment. God says, for the day of vengeance was in my heart, and the year of my redemption had come. And I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled that no one gave support. So my own arm worked salvation for me, and my own wrath sustained me. See, the original Redeemer, the original Restorer, is God Himself. But God has a kinsman Redeemer. The Father has a Son. Throughout the Old Testament, you see the name of this avenging angel. Remember the Passover? I will show you, Pharaoh. I will strike down the firstborn of all of your children. But Israelites, go into your houses and paint lamb's blood upon the door. And when the avenging, when the destroyer, the angel, passes over, he will not harm you, only the Egyptians. The angel avenging God's purposes and justice. What about this, when the Israelites are free, and the pillar of cloud, they're heading toward the Red Sea, and the Egyptians are following them. The pillar of cloud moves behind the Israelites, and so does the angel to protect them so they can go through and be saved. This angel's found all over the place, really, if you look for him. He's the one with the sword of the Lord standing right outside of Jericho when Joshua meets him. Are you for us or for our enemies? No, I'm for the Lord. I'm the kinsman redeemer. I am the son of the father. I am the angel. The angel of the Lord. Angel, by the way, Malach in Hebrew means messenger. It's the messenger. Sometimes it's a spiritual being. Sometimes it's the Lord himself, the angel of the Lord. Jesus is God's kinsman redeemer. And so we have to ask the question, what about us? See, truth be told, I'd like to think that I'm worthy of being in the presence of God. But the scriptures are very clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us, there's no one who seeks God. A coup d'etat has been staged in Virginia Beach. In my bedroom, it's me saying to God, I don't need you. I will be God of my own. I will not love you with my whole heart and soul. I will not love my neighbor as myself. I will make myself first and everyone subservient to me. Has not God's honor been harmed by this puny little human rebelling against him? Should the kinsman redeemer not be sent to avenge the honor of the Father? Should Jesus Christ not be my Savior, but rather my avenger? Jesus Christ we should fear the avenging angel. But this is what is astounding about the gospel. That Jesus Christ became our kinsman. So he could become our redeemer. Think about that. Not only the kinsman of God the Father. But the kinsman of people. For the word became flesh. And 
and dwelt among us. Hebrews puts it this way, in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, from whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. Rather than coming to avenge his father, he identified with us. He took up our cause. The avenger became our redeemer. See, our battle ultimately is not with God. Our battle is against Satan who accuses us. Our avenger avenged God by putting the sins of the world on himself. He came not to conquer, but he came to be conquered. He came not to pay out, but he came to pay. If you are a Christian, you have a kinsman redeemer. One who is all-powerful and all-loving. One who will buy you back out of bondage. From slaves to sin, to freedom in the Savior. One who will buy back the land that you have sold. An inheritance. Heaven, a land flowing with milk and honey. And one who will take blood vengeance on your true enemy, the evil one who tempted you and captured you. Christ has moved from being our avenger to our redeemer. And so he stands before us to protect us, to ransom us and restore us. I played, I was a walk-on at the University of Virginia. I played tennis there. And uh, it's very interesting when, now our tennis team is unbelievable. We're the best in the country. We won the NCAAs last year. I'm sure you knew that. You probably watch all the matches. Nonetheless, at that time, you know, uh, tennis players, we were, you know, we were okay there. And, and there was one central gym where everyone would go to work out. Okay, this is before all the gyms got split out. So I would go out to work out at the same gym as the football guys went to work out. Okay? Now, there were dumbbells that weighed as much as I did <laughs> that guys were working out with. Okay? I, I couldn't lift the dumbbell because the dumbbell was me. Don't take that rhetorical. <laughs> And so 
you know, uh, don't stand next to him. The lightning bolt's going to come down and strike him. There's no way God could love me. I'm his enemy. My sins are not unintentional. They're even intentional. But Jesus has become our kinsman, So he could become our redeemer. Christ has come not to avenge his father's losses. But he's come to rescue us. So live in hope, Christian. God loves you. Live in expectation. God will watch over you. And live in joy. Somebody has my back. When all else have abandoned me, when nobody watches over me and protects me, I have my kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. He will not let me be shaken. Though we deserve death, we've received life through our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. So we live not in fear of the avenger, but in the freedom of the redeemer. Which brings me to my final point. Rest in your refuge. We see that if a kinsman, if a uh, offending person makes it to the city, and their cause is truly shown as being unintentional, they must stay in the city. Because the kinsman redeemer may lurk outside. And if that person wanders out of the city, the kinsman redeemer may kill them without impunity, perfectly righteous and just. Because there is an imbalance, isn't there? There is a wrong that is to be right. But there is a way that one can leave, that one can come back home. You see that it says that they must stay there until the death of the high priest. Now everyone would understand what that meant. See, if you had a sin, maybe it was a small one, it wasn't a big deal. Every sin needed atonement. So you'd go to the temple, you'd buy a pigeon, you'd buy a dove, you'd buy a small lamb. You'd give it to the high priest. The high priest would pray over you and would sacrifice the animal as atonement for your sin. And you would go home in peace, knowing that your sin had been atoned for. But who can atone for this sin? You know, there's a point when there's no animal that's big enough, pure enough. The death of the high priest. They would understand that the one who has the authority to lift these sins up to God, to give them, to sacrifice the animal, that his sacrifice, his death would be atoning. See, Christ has come. Christ is not only our kinsman redeemer, but he's our refuge. He's brought us into himself. And he watches over us and he protects us. Because he is the true high priest who has died. Who has risen again. And so we live in this world that we live trapped. Wondering when we shall be released. The ability to go home to where we belong. This place flowing with milk and honey. Where the presence of God is. Where we can truly live in unity and understand one another. We have refuge. The high priest has died. Our path is set. It's simply a question of time. There are no condemnation for those who love Christ. Christ who died for us is living for us. He is our refuge. Jesus Christ is your safe place. Not only fight for me, not only die for me, he will watch over me and protect me. And so Christian, you have a home. 
the storms arise in your life, when you need a place to be safe, a place where you'll be accepted and received, not only for the sins that you unintentionally created, but for the ones that you've done on purpose. Look to Jesus Christ, the one who became a kinsman, that he might be our redeemer. He is our Goel, our rescuer, and our refuge. Though you and I deserve death, we receive life through our kinsman redeemer. So you too, Christian, and live not in the fear of the avenger. So live in freedom of the Redeemer. That is God's gift to you. Let's pray. Lord, I need a city of refuge wherever I go. Praise you that you are it. Lord, that you are my avenger, my attacker, the one who should have destroyed me. But rather, you became my kinsman. You became my Redeemer. You restored me by destroying yourself. Lord, help me to rest in your refuge, to live in this life, to enjoy what it means to be forgiven and free, a child of God. All of this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.